Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. I'm going to be reading verses 17 to 29. If you brought a Bible with you, if you could turn to Hebrews 11 with me. If not, there should be one in front of you in, in the pew rack. And if not, you would like to just simply sit and listen to the word of God being read. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 29. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Let's pray. That word just keeps coming up, Father, by faith, by faith, by faith. We are, I am, a person of emotion and feelings. I want to see, I want to touch, I want to hear, I want to taste. You made us that way. And yet you have called us to a kingdom that we can't see or touch or handle or taste. You called us to serve you and believe that one day we're going to have a reward that is imperishable in a heaven that we cannot see or feel or touch or taste. You are asking us by faith and you're giving us the ability to do that. Help us in our lives to have that kind of vision, to have spiritual eyesight, to see beyond this world and all the things that are going on around it, to not let them dictate our lives, the way we live, the way we think, but to see beyond that, to see you behind everything that's happening in this world as you are in control to see you working in our lives despite the things that are going on around us. 
to see your spirit, to see your power, to see your rewards, to see what living for you means and is in our lives. Help us to be people of faith. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you all. Glad you could be here for this Lord's Day. Uh, indeed, the Lord is good to each of us. We can be together, have this fellowship, this time in the Word, and, and uh, be worshiping Him as, as well. Uh, that one song, that first song, and Steve made mention of the weather, that one line, third verse, and clouds arise and tempests blow by order from thy throne. And next week, we'll be starting a three-week series on God's sovereignty. God is sovereign over the weather. In fact, yesterday morning, this morning, the weather is just like perfect. I sit out on my porch every morning. It's just beautiful. It's just, man, this is it. If it could stay like this all the time, it just felt, it's like low 60s. It felt so good. And you go outside, it's what I call a CBS day. That's clear blue skies because, you know, the system, the weather and all. I just checked it out. It's about clear blue skies, but it's, it is beautiful. And it's good weather. I, my, my daughter lives in Charlotte, and you look at the map there, and it's not too good that weekend because, you know, that's the way it is. You have good weather one place, and there's sort of bad way another place. But indeed, God is sovereign. He gives us what he wants to give us. Memorial Day weekend, the stats show that 1,145,000 men, mainly men, have died last since the Revolutionary War to protect our country. That's a lot. Indeed, God was sovereign there, too. God has blessed us with a, a really a wonderful country through all the years. And we need to be thankful for that and thankful that God has given us men and women who are willing to, to, to fight. And, and I, I heard this guy yesterday, Patrick O'Donnell. He's probably the foremost historian, military historian in our country, written all kinds of books. In fact, for his World War II books, he interviewed 4,000 different men who fought and, and, and during his life, he would always go to these reunions where soldiers were at, you know, and interview them. He'd say, man, what would you do? And what was it like? And, and he'd ask the hard questions because the soldiers back then in that era did not want to talk about the difficulties that took place and the bloodshed, et cetera, et cetera. But it was just riveting because it made me think, you know, man, we're Christians and we are soldiers here too and fighting for the Lord. And, and he talked about the bravery. He liked it. He loved to, to interview the, the rangers, the special forces, because they were the real fighters, and they would lead. And he, he'd mention different battles and stuff. And I thought, wow, we're, we're Christians, and we need to be fighting too uh, for the Lord. But uh, our Memorial Day, we do it, as you know, the first Sunday of every month. We have one next Sunday, because Jesus Christ died for us to pay for our sins. And that's the most important Memorial Day. I think we all know that. And it's good that we have that because we need to remember him. Steve read from Hebrews 11. We're talking about faith. It's what we need to have every day and in every area of our life. Mark 11:22. that simple phrase, command from Jesus to us, have faith in God. And having faith means you're looking to God. It means you're depending on him. It means you're trusting him. You'd have faith for your relationship with God. You'd have faith for your personal life. You'd have faith faith for your family or if you have children, grandchildren. You'd have faith for your, your work, faith for your finances. You need faith for uh, the trials you go through. You need faith for your health situation, whatever that might be. You need faith for the ministry that you're in. You need faith every day. You need faith for the rest of your life. Having faith means you're walking to God, the most important person in the world. And that you have a relationship with him, you connect to him, you trust him, and he blesses you. He spiritually 
encourages you and strengthens you, fill, fills you with his love and joy and peace. It says, may the God, this is Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that joy and peace God wants us to have is by trusting in the Lord, by having faith in him. That's what that verse tells us. And of course, when you think about the Bible and faith, and this had Steve read Hebrews 11, uh, Hebrews 11 comes to mind because it focuses on people of God who had faith in God. That we read there about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and, and Sarah and Isaac, Jacob, Moses, many others. It's, it's, it's a great, it's a great chapter, and it goes on, all these people who had faith in the Lord. And they believe. They believe God could lead them and use them and bless them. They believe God for the strength that he gave them, and they did the work that God wanted them to do by faith. But let, let's go for a minute to Hebrews 12. Of course, comes right after Hebrews 11. Hebrews 12, chapter 12, 1. People have different interpretations in this. I think it's, I just look at it in the surface here, and I think it's what it says here. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surround us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The witnesses are the ones who've gone before us. I, I, I believe, some might dis- disagree with me, I believe that people in heaven know what's going on here on earth. To some degree, not everything, of course. They see what's happening. God lets them see. We have these witnesses, and we're continuing on. We've taken the baton. We're carrying on for Christ. That's what we're to be doing, and we are to, says there, to be holy people. Lay aside the encumbrances, the weight. Certain things you do aren't bad, but it's just a weight. You have to do that. Take time doing whatever. Let us lay aside every weight, every sin, and run the race that God gave to us. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. We're talking about faith. Who's the author of your faith? Jesus, who's the perfecter. It's Jesus. We're talking all these verses about faith, and you want to have faith, and you've got to come back. Well, Lord, help me to have more faith. That's, that's where it's at. Endured the cross, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured such suffering by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's always important to consider him. That's why we have these Memorial Day is on the first Sunday of the month. To remember him, of course, we should be remembering him every, every day of the week. And so Jesus, he had faith too. He had perfect faith. He always trusted in his Father every day, all the time, every situation. The verse in, in Luke 5.16 is instructive. Jesus himself, himself, that means by himself, would often, often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Pray, of course, means he had faith. He needed the Lord. The wilderness is often... Other translations, it's, it would be a desert place or a lonely place. That is, you want to get away with there's nobody else around by myself. No distractions where you could talk open, Lord, maybe cry out and pray, whatever. Often withdrew to a lonely place, and he prayed. Paul had faith, too. The things he did for God, the trials he went through, is by faith in God that he could do it. And it's absolutely, boy, you, you read you read the epistles, especially that Second Corinthians 11 it is, the litany of the things he went through, the trials he had. I just, it's unbelievable. It was by faith. That's what it was. He's, he's one of our best examples. Jesus, Paul was, and of course Jesus too. But Paul was a man like us who had problems and difficulties and a sin nature that was difficult at times for him, I'm sure. But Paul was always concerned about the faith of the believers. I've talked different times about what's a mature believer. A mature believer is one who doesn't think about himself all the time. 
Immature people, unbelievers, of course, are focused on themselves. Immature people are thinking about themselves. And, of course, we have to think about ourselves a little bit. You know, we've got health problems or issues. We've got to take care of ourselves. I understand that. But a mature person is learning to think about others. Paul was very concerned about the faith of others. We read in Colossians 1, 4, it says, We give thanks to God since we heard of your faith. So he starts off the epistle. He says, man, I'm really encouraged. I heard of your faith. And what hear of your faith means, we don't know, but it's some kind of things they were doing or saying that showed that they had faith. We heard of your faith. We were thankful. We were encouraged. But I want you to turn to First Thessalonians. This, you see this. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses um, Three, three, four to six. First Thessalonians three, verse four. Indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. So it came to pass, as you know. So he told them, "You guys are going to suffer." He wasn't afraid to say that. This reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So he wasn't saying, I want this trial to be taken away, this affliction. No, that's not it. I want you to have faith. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. So he was very encouraged. They had faith. Sure, they had trials. That wasn't the main point. The main point, did they have faith as they were going through their trials? So the point is simple for us. Is, is, and when you think about others, and God wants you to think about others and pray, pray for their faith. You know, if you talk to them, you might even say this question, how's your faith going this week? That's not a very common question, but it's a good question. How's your faith doing? Are you trusting the Lord this week? Are you looking to him, dependent on him? Very, very important. Last two times we looked at Matthew, Luke, and John, which he's had to say about faith. And I think if you've been here the last two times, looked at the notes, he had a lot to say about faith. A lot, a lot to say. And it's obvious, very, very obvious, that one of his highest priorities was for his disciples to have faith. We, we, we read and, and talked about how at times he'd say to them, hey, you, you guys have little faith here. And, of course, he wanted their faith to grow. And I, and I can't help... I think we'd all would agree with this, that he says that to us at times, too. Oh, you have little faith. I'm talking about me and you out there. You have little faith, little faith. And, and it's also true, and you need to think about this, that one of God, one of Christ's highest priorities for you is your faith, right? You have to get that in your mind. So what are they thinking about up there in heaven? Well, they want me to grow in faith. That's what's on their mind. Well, you can think, oh, they love us, and that's good. They want you to have faith. Jesus did wanted that for his disciples, and he wants that for you, his disciples, 2,000 years later. That's what he wants. Always remember that. That's what he's doing. And so be cognizant of that as you go through your life, as you go through the week. You know, God's teaching you. I, I can't help but think that every day there are lessons of faith he's wanting you to learn, just the little things, the big things, whatever it might be, lessons to trust him. That's, that's what he wants. Let's shift now. I'll turn to John 7. We'll look at this for a few minutes here. John chapter 7. And the, the, the application now of faith uh, relates specifically to our relationship with the Lord. In fact, in fact, before we go there, let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. Talk about this same subject, a little different angle here. Ephesians 3, verse 14. Paul, for this reason I now bow my knees before the Father from every family in heaven and earth desires his name so that he would grant you according to the rich of his glory to be strengthened with power through a spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you may 
you being rooted and grounded in love, and it goes on. That, that's talking about your relationship with the Lord. And he said it's by faith, okay? But he's praying, Paul's praying, and to the instruction for us as we pray for ourselves and others to be growing in our relationship with the Lord, to be ones who have faith. But, but, but the whole point here that I want to say is that we're now talking about the application of faith to your own relationship with the Lord, which is the single most important thing there is in the world, right? You're, you and God, your relationship with him. So let's turn to John 7, 39, 37 to 9. And, and this, these verses, I would say, are applicable to both believe, believers and unbelievers, those who are saved and those who are not. And, and verse 37, the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus is crying out to the crowds. I mean, he's really loud. There's crowds. He has to raise his voice, and he's crying out, and he says, if anyone is thirsty. And he's basically saying simply that anyone... And my point here is on anyone. Anyone can come to him. Jesus doesn't discriminate. He doesn't care about a person's age or race or sex or class. or He doesn't care about any of that stuff. Okay? And what he's saying here, that he wants to satisfy the spiritual needs of anyone. It's the same thought you get from John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes, whoever, anyone, same kind of words. So that's, that's the first thing. This, this what Jesus, what God wants to do is for anyone in the world, he does not discriminate. Second, he says, if anyone is thirsty, you all know what it means to be thirsty. In your body, in your mouth, you sense your need for something to drink, and, and you're physically thirsty. But here we're talking about being spiritually thirsty. And what this means, the way I define this, you come to the point in your life where you see that the world doesn't satisfy the fun and the games and the money. The other day I was, I was driving a neighborhood, and it was a nice neighborhood and all these nice houses. And I like looking at nice houses. I mean, not that I want to live there. I just like, wow, what a house. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, you've all been to a rich neighborhood. Wow, what a house, what a house, what a house. And you go along and want to make sure you stay in there over. You're looking at these houses, but so what? So what if you're having a nice house? You can have a nice house, but so what if, if you're an unbeliever? I mean, how lonely would that be, you know? So the point is, you've seen that the world and all that's in the world doesn't satisfy. You've seen that the flesh, okay, doesn't satisfy. Sure, you can have a nice food and cook the best meal. So what? It satisfies your stomach, but not your soul, okay? You've come to the point, you see, relationships don't satisfy. So what if you have a good friend? In the end, that's not it. A spiritually thirsty, poor person, in a sense, has come to the end of his rope and he realized that Jesus, only Jesus can meet his need. It's that verse in Psalm 63.1. Oh, God, you are my God. Early I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Early in the morning I seek you. Then it goes to verse 2. It says, Thus I beheld thee in the sanctuary to see thy power and glory. Then you go to verse 3, and it says, it says, Your love is better than anything else. So you're seeking the Lord. You're thirsty for the Lord. That's the psalmist. That's David there in 63.1. And then he says, I see your power. I see your glory. I, I see and know your love. That's what it is. Then he sings. I think that's verse 4. To the Lord he worships him because... He's been satisfied by the Lord. So, thirsty, spiritually thirsty. Third, Jesus says you need to come to him. You know the verse, Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all you who are weary. Jesus says, come to me. And, and again, you've all been around in life enough to know that we go all kinds of places to have this need met or this need. Come to me. Come to me. 
John 6, 35 and 7. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Profound words. He talks about water, John 7, talks about the bread of life here in John 6. So it tells us then to come to him. Because he knows that you can't meet your needs. He knows that any, no one else can meet your needs, and only he can meet your needs. That's all that he's saying there. If you're coming to Jesus, then you've realized that he is the answer, that he's the one who can meet your spiritual needs. He's the one who can satisfy your spiritual thirst. And all of us are there. All of us have spiritual needs. All of us are spiritually thirsty. And if you're, a person's an unbeliever, an unbeliever here, then, hey, he's the answer for your life. And if you're a believer, you still get tempted. There's still difficulty. We need to be reminded, a reminder, go to Jesus and grow in your relationship with him. Let him satisfy you. I think if I a, a physically, physically thirsty person would get a glass of water. You've all done this. You've done this so many times in your life, hundreds, hundreds. You go to the sink, and, or you might have a jar of water, a bottle of water, whatever. You get the water. You don't look at it, do you? Oh, what a beautiful glass of water, beautiful, clear, and, and maybe you have a special filter on. Oh, this is wonderful water, and you admire it, and you look at it, then you, you, you don't do that. You drink it. <laughs> it goes down your throat, your stomach, it satisfies you, food satisfies you. It's, it's good for you. You've only got one thing in life, we need water, right? Got to have water. And so, too, the spiritually thirsty person doesn't just come to Jesus. Oh, here's Jesus. He talks to Jesus. <laughs> he tells Jesus that he's thirsty. He believes that Jesus can meet his needs. He, he trusts Jesus, and Jesus does this. That's what goes on. Jesus comes to him and helps him. He partakes of Jesus. John 6, very, back if you're in John 7, John 6, verse 51 56, debated verses through the years, particularly with one particular religion, maybe others. John 651. I'm the living bread. I mentioned before we had the water analogy in chapter 7 and chapter 4 of John, but here in chapter 6. I'm the living bread that came out of heaven. If anyone eats of the bread, he will live forever. Another way to say you're going to be spiritually satisfied forever. The bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. And I was in a religion that taught that this wafer that you get on communion time was the actual body of Christ. And they would say that. You know, you're there at communion. They would say their little phrase, body of Christ, and they'd hold it out to you. That, that's the phrase the priest would say or the deacon, whoever. I was a little kid. I got, um, took communion when I was seven or eight, first communion. Uh, seven or eight, whenever it was. I think it was seven. But anyway, I, I remember when I was young, I've always been sort of analytical, and I said, I, I just can't figure this out. Because I'm thinking people are going to Mass in every city, all over the world, and every Sunday, and then some churches, there's Mass every day. It doesn't make sense. How can this bread be Jesus' body? I can't figure this out. And that's one thing that as I went through life, I said, you know, I finally sort of said, no, I can't believe the Catholics. I can't believe that. There's other things, too, but that was one thing. And so people debate that. And this is where the Catholics get their teaching on that right here in these verses in John 6. But we continue on. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. It's not a physical thing. You don't eat physical things to get eternal life. Eternal life is, is spiritual, okay? So it's all about eternal life. 
Then he says, and I'll raise him up at the last day. He'll live forever. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. But, but this, this picture of you eating Jesus, of course it doesn't make sense, physically speaking. But eating is a strong word. You're digesting this. It's, food is becoming part of your body, and I don't understand the, I don't understand the physiology, but, but the food goes to every cell in your body, and you've got a lot of cells. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And the life that God, through Christ, through the Spirit, wants to give you is to affect every aspect of your body. And we're talking about, about eating. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. Again, on one hand, it seems like a strange verse, but it's really good. That means you're really partaking of the Lord. You're having a meal. It's a spiritual meal. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. What we're saying is that only Jesus can spiritually satisfy you. Only he can meet your needs, and only he then knows how to meet your needs. When I say spiritual needs, I mean then for your need for Jesus to be your Lord. He needs to be your Lord. He needs to be your shepherd. You know, Psalm 23, Lord is my shepherd. You need to say that strongly. Lord is my shepherd, meaning that he cares for you. He watches over you. He takes care of you in all kinds of ways. And Psalm 23 talks about that. The Lord is your shepherd. Also, he's then the one who is, is your savior. And he's also one then who is your friend. He's your brother. This is, this is what it means when we say spiritual needs, understanding who Jesus is to you, your relationship with him, saving you and shepherding you and being your Lord, telling you what to do. All these things are important. Then, of course, to your need for forgiveness and love and joy and peace and grace and power. And the litany can go on. I could give you so many words that talk about what God spiritually wants to give you. We read in Ephesians 1, 3 about blessed be the Lord God who... Saturday, it gives us, so what's he saying? Every spiritual need, every spiritual blessing comes from the Father through Christ. That's what happens. I think what Paul said to live is Christ. A person who is spiritually thirsty comes to Jesus because he knows that the only way to really live is to come to him, to partake of him. That's what we're saying. John seven thirty-eight. let's go back there. says there that he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. The person who comes to Jesus, then, is one who's spiritually thirsty. He's one, then, who is spiritually drinking. And he's one, then, who is being satisfied by the Lord. He receives the eternal life of the Lord. And sometimes we think of this eternal life as... Eternal life, should be think of, is a, a continuous thing that lasts forever personal, continuous, because you're daily to be partaking of the Lord, daily to be satisfied by him, daily then you're to have your real needs met by the Lord. That's what he wants for you. And so coming to Jesus and spiritually drinking is saying that you, you want Jesus to meet your needs. You're expecting him and believe that he will. That's what it is. Very important. I mean, you think about this for relationship. This is what you want every day? Is this what you're expecting? Are you getting the time, alone time, like Mary or Jesus in Luke chapter 5, where you're, you're quiet enough, you're not distracted? I mean, we all get distracted, but you need that. Where, and even when you get distracted, you've got to learn how to get the distraction out of your mind. You've got to dis- be disciplined. God, give me grace to be focused on you. Again, you know this. 
if you're at a restaurant with somebody and it's you, you and another person, or if I was with my wife, Marsha, we go out once in a while, and she saw that I was distracted every 20 seconds, that wouldn't be good. I'm looking over here or looking over there. She said, why don't you look at me? I mean, you know, that's pretty basic, right? Same, team, same with Jesus. We need to be ones who look to him and then are not distracted but focused on him, being encouraged by him because he wants to bless us. That's what we're talking about here. And so coming to Jesus, I said last week, and believing is a personal thing. It's between you and God. Nobody else can do this for you. Nobody else can make you do this. Nobody else can somehow get in your place. It's a very personal thing. You come to Jesus. And again, it's not a matter of you've got to be alone. You can be driving in the car someplace. You know, it's, it's, that's the whole point of this life. It's, it's every day. But specifically, getting those alone times, I believe, are really, really needed. Okay? We see the example over the Bible of that. And so, it's you going to Jesus. It's you asking him, believing him, trusting him, looking to him, sitting at his feet as Mary did in Luke chapter 10. It's you believing, trusting, meet my needs, Lord, satisfy me. And sometimes, and Steve mentioned this earlier, so sometimes you feel it, the Luke 11, or Hebrews 11, but sometimes you don't. But, but you're there, and you're, you're with the Lord. John 7, 38b second part says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. A classic phrase. From his innermost being, your innermost being, from the heart of your, your, your body, your soul, your spirit, however you want to say it, uh, innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So this phrase describes what God wants to give you. And the idea of, of a river of living water. I mean, all, you've all seen rivers, right? You've all seen rivers where it's moving, it's water's clear, and or streams or creeks. Or what, you've all seen that, right? And that's what we're saying here. We're talking about this river of living water. It's clean, it's good, it's fresh, it's, it's, it's that which satisfies. And it's this unending source of life. It's always continually flowing. That's why this analogy is so good, a river. Because you just, you know, rivers just keep going and going and going and that's what God has for you. He wants you to understand this. John chapter 4, turn there, John chapter 4. It says in John 4.10, Jesus answered, talked to the woman at the well, said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that you, who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given the living water, you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? You gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So here the analogy is this well of water. The one in John 7 is it's a river of living water. That's what it is. And so it's the same thing. Jesus wants to give you living water. And what it says here is that the one who has this living water then has eternal life. So you see this equating, this equivalency between these phrases, eternal life and the bread of life and living water. They all mean the same thing. If you have eternal life, you have living water. If you have eternal life, you have the bread of life. Got it? That, that's the same thing. And, and you see this in the Gospel of John. There's, what, seven or eight times Jesus says, I am, whether it's the resurrection or I am the way, the truth. There's different things he says. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. And I am eternal life as well. It says in, in Psalm 36, great verses, the last part of the chapter, I'm, I'm just going to read just a portion real quick. You go there. It's a great section that really talks about this. 
says that the children of men drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. That's a good way to say it. For with you is the fountain of life. You've heard about the, the fountain of youth, whatever that is. <laughs> the fountain of life, river of life. Okay, let's, let's keep going here. John 9. As you see, we're focused in John. I mentioned this last time. You look at the other Gospels, the word, the operative word, when we talk about this subject is, is more faith, which is the noun form of this Greek word, pistuo, pisteo. Um, but the verb form is believe. The word believe, faith does not appear in the Gospel of John. It appears, I think, 51 or 52 times in, in the Gospel of John, this word believe here. So you got to John 9. You know the story. There's this man who had been blind from birth, and Jesus heals this man. And so he is healed. He's physically healed. He can physically see, but Jesus also forgives him. He spiritually can see. He's not spiritually blinded anymore. And in John 9.35, it says, do you, do you believe in the Son of Man? That's what Jesus says. And, and the blind man says, Lord, I believe. This is probably when he had been healed. Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. So this guy was a believer. This blind man had faith. He believed in Jesus. He believed that Jesus could physically heal him. He believed that Jesus could spiritually heal him. And I love this because this is, this is good. Because in our lives, we all have physical and spiritual issues. And this nine covers everything. Covers everything, okay? You have physical needs. In fact, go to Psalm 103. Um, you can jot it down. First three or four verses. He heals all our diseases and he crowns you with loving kindness. It covers both of those aspects there as well. But I want you to turn, if you're in John... 9, we'll go to John 9, rather. You need to see this here. This is important. I just want to just mention it briefly. This, this whole context that what we're talking about, this faith, really connects with everything. Um, they, they, well, verse 2, the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus said this, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was that, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent us as long as night, neither is coming when no one can work. But that one phrase, the works of God, connect that to faith in your life, okay? God wants to do works of God in you every day. Why did this happen? Whatever happens in your life today or yesterday, or the last week you're going to do this, whatever, this happened so the works of God might be displayed. Think about your life that way. You have faith. You trust God. The works of God might be displayed. Huge. I love that phrase. Works of God, not works of man. This is, we're not talking about man. So we're talking about God doing something in and through you. That's what we're saying here. That's, that's, that's the point. John 11, 25 to 27. You know the story here about Jesus and Martha. She said to her, I am the resurrection, the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. He's talking to Martha about the resurrection. And Martha believes that she's talking to the Christ. Old Testament word was Messiah. Hey, this is the Christ. This is the one talked about. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the Son of God. This is God in the flesh. She believed that. She also believed in the resurrection. The resurrection, a word that means power over death. He has power over death. Also the power to give me life. That's, that's what she was thinking here. So she's a believer. She's saved from her sins and from death and from hell, and she then is given eternal life. And so we see that same phraseology here. She has eternal life because she has believed John 12, continue on. These verses about believing and having faith. 
Verse 44 to 48, Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I've come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sins and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He rejects my saying, rejects me and does not receive my sins, has one who judges him, and the word of I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. A few points here, four different points I have. If you believe in Jesus, then you also have to believe in God the Father. Jesus is one. You see this connection between him and the Father throughout. You have to believe in the one who sent me. You believe uh, that Jesus is saying, I'm the Son of the Father. I am the Son of God. You have to believe that they're connected, they're related. You can't separate the Son and the Father. They're always going together, and they're doing their work together. Second, it says if you see the Father, that, that it says you see the Father if you see the Son means that, that, that Jesus is, again, God in the flesh. It's, it's powerful, that verse there. He who sees me sees the Father who sent me. Of course, talking about a spiritual terms there, but physical too, that you are seeing God in the flesh. So it's, it's, it's really both. Thirdly, everyone who believes in Jesus does not remain in darkness, does not remain a sinner, because it's saved, is forgiven, is a child of the light, is a child of God. I heard the other day, I was listening, you know, I listened to the news once in a while, and this guy who's a politician running for presidency, I believe, and he says, they've called me all kinds of things. They called me every name in the book, but they've never called me a child of God. Thought, Ooh, oh, that's sad. That's important. You, you are children of God if you're in Christ. That's a wonderful phrase. Children of God, children of the light. That's what God wants for us. Everyone who does not believe in Jesus will be judged on the last day. It says in Hebrews, I can't remember, 10, 11, maybe 12, Terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We don't talk about hell much, but it's true. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. John 14, we continue. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Receive it to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Singing that song, we're marching to Zion. We're all going home to heaven someday. Jesus says there that he's got this place prepared, but he's talking to them because they were troubled. They were sad. They're discouraged. It's a common thing. We all get troubled. We all get sad. We all get discouraged. You know, I've had those issues myself this week. I'm sure you have to some degree. A pretty common thing. The answer, one answer to this problem, well, the answer to this problem is to believe in Jesus overall to trust him. But specifically, he's making a point. He's making a point. His, his focus in verses 2 and 3 is on the future, okay? You're having troubles now. He makes a home for us in heaven, and having this hope helps us to not be troubled in the present because we see that we have a wonderful future. And it's important that we understand this perspective of life being short. I'm not going to talk about it much here now, but you all heard about life is but a vapor. I mean, life is so short, you might be 60 or 70 or 80. Man, I've been long. My life is long. It's short. The, the, the godly person learns that life is short. Okay. And that's important. Little troubles now. 2 Corinthians 4, momentary light affliction produces an eternal weight of glory. We need to understand that. And so Jesus is saying that. Hey, I got this, got this place for you here. 
and, and having faith in God gives us his hope. Because one definition of hope, hope means hope and faith are equivalent terms. You see the equivalency given to us, and I'm not going to go through it here, in Hebrews 11, okay? The people of faith, they're talking about their hope, their future. It's, it's wonderful. But, but anyway, the point I want to say here is that, that, that faith in God for the future is hope, okay? If you have hope, that means you have faith. You have faith in God and in his promises for the future, and specifically the life after this world here. It says in Romans 8, I think 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. The sufferings of this present time, whatever they might be, it's not worthy. It's just not worth it. And, and, and sometimes we dwell so much. I mean, I got my aches and pains, and I'm sure a lot of you do too here. It's not worth it. Stop thinking about your aches and pains so much. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Continue, John 14, 11 to 14, on faith. He says there in 11, Believe me that I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Great section of verses on faith and prayer. First, we're to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is both a God and man. We understand that, of course, Jesus and the Father, they have this very, very close relationship. They're perfectly united, and Jesus does exactly what the Father wants him to do. Second, we see that we're to do the works of God. And then he says that line, and people wonder, what does that mean? We're to do greater works. You know, my simple answer on that, you know, people might debate me on this, but is that, that when Jesus was here, what was his territory? What was his goal? The nation of Israel, right? Of course, he reached the Samaritan. We know he crossed the lines a few times, the boundary lines, but that was basically it. He crisscrossed back and forth. And so the greater works, is, it's not a qualitative, it's a quantitative. And so our job for the last 2,000 years is what? To reach the world. We have Matthew 24, 14. says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the nations. And then the end, that is the end of the age, will come. Matthew 28, 19, 20, similar. Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Think about your life as a Christian. You preach the gospel. You make disciples. End of the age. And it's, it's, it's good. Sometimes I, I look at what's going on in history. I read history a little bit. He says, man, Lord, it seemed like we didn't do that good of a job. The church, we're struggling. What's going on here? We're still in the minority by far. Well, God is sovereign. He's building the church. We must always understand that. Third, he's encouraging us to pray, have believing prayer. He knows that to do the works he wants us to do, we need to pray. We need to believe that it's God through his spirit who is doing his works in us. That's it. God through his spirit is doing his works in and through us. We can't do it. God can through his spirit. So he encourages to pray. And this is important. Again, we sort of touched on this, but we need to make this more clear. Not selfishly, not for what we want, but for whatever he wants, that which is then according to his will, according to his purposes, and for his glory. That's what we need to understand. And that takes us to the fourth point, God's ultimate purpose. When you read the scriptures, and I've said this before, I'll say it again is that, that he is to be glorified, and that Christ be glorified. We go to John 17, and he says, Father, the time, the hour has come, glorify, uh, glorify you, glorify the Son so that the Son may glorify you. 
Okay, it's about the Father and the Son getting glory. Jesus, that verse four, verse four, I brought you glory by completing the work that you gave me to do. So this is how you think. As Christians, we must know that the work we do as Christians, again, whatever work that is, whether it's, again, washing dishes or mowing the lawn or whether it's saying a prayer, is for the glory of God. That's it. That's all. I brought you glory by completing the work. That work's a big word. As you go through the work, we get all kinds of different jobs you do, different tasks, different works, okay? By completing the work, I brought you glory. You should just personalize that for your life. That was for Jesus, but personalize it. Okay. I don't know if we're running late or what, but I need a few more minutes. Can I have a few more minutes? The food's still there. Can you guys smell it in here? Okay, that's good. <laughs> I don't want you to smell it. Okay, Matthew 6. I have to read these verses. And this is, this is a very important section. 24, and I need to read all the verses. 24, Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God and wealth or money. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life or as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. I say to you that not even Solomon, all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will, we, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Just a few things. A few things. Important passage about life and living for the Lord, ones that must be understand. They give us perspective. Very important. We shouldn't worry. That's the first thing. Shouldn't worry about the little things of life, the basic things in life, the physical things of life. Shouldn't worry about your food, clothing, shelter, or money. Things like that, okay? Don't worry, first thing. Secondly, well, with that, the world worries. We're God's children, and we are not to worry, right? And as a Christian, and we've all been through this, I don't know where you're at in the process as a person of learning not to worry, learning to trust. All of us have had worries and anxieties or fears. It's all part of what's happened. I understand that. I'm human. I have my worries too, okay? But he wants you to learn, and he'll give you enough things to worry about every day, you know? All right, that happens every day. Don't worry about that. I want you to learn not to worry. I mean, think about this. The simple question, has worrying ever done you any good? Ever? I mean, simply, you're going down the road, and you I got to get someplace, and you're worrying, and the traffic, and this and that. I'm like that sometimes. Stop worrying. Does it help to worry? Is your driving the road? Probably hurts. Doesn't help. Don't worry, okay? We, we know that, but it's still difficult because it's easy to worry. We shouldn't. With that, we need to have faith in God. We need to believe that God will meet our needs. Mature Christians, another way to define a mature Christian is he believes that God will take care of his basic needs, food, shelter, clothing, money, everything else. He's, he's past that point. He was a baby Christian once and, you know, grown up. A child is a Christian. Now he's grown up. He's a mature Christian. He doesn't worry about it, okay? He trusts God. 
we trust God. If we're worrying, if we're anxious, then our faith is weak. It's a little faith. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad one way or the other. I don't know where you're at in this whole worry scheme of things, but I'm just saying God wants to help you not to worry about these little things because they're distracting. Spend all your time worrying, but you're not doing what verse 33 says, which we'll get to in a minute. And that's what you've got to see. I'm not supposed to worry because I've got work to do for the Lord. And, and worrying doesn't help. It eats, each, each takes your mind and your time and everything else. Not good. Thirdly, then, we need to seek first the kingdom of God. We need to focus not on our basic things, not on the little things of life, but on the big things, on the spiritual things, on the kingdom of God, on the souls of men and women. That's what we're to do. So, so it's, a, it's a simple idea here. Stop worrying about the little things and start thinking about the big things. That's all. That's all we're saying. It relates to having faith. Little faith people are ones who are just worried about the little things. Don't be a little faith person. Be a big faith, a great faith. That's what God wants. And so we need to see ourselves then as, as ones who are helping build the church. Okay, that's the point. Get your eyes off yourself. You're thinking about yourself too much. Get your eyes, okay, I want to think about the church. Build the church. That means you pray for the church, okay? Just a few things, real simple. This application, you pray for the church. You love the people in the church, which means sometimes you do things for them or you call them. It doesn't mean you just sit home all the time. You think about them. You pray for them. You do things for them. You love the people in the church. Next, you use your gift, whatever that might be. It might be the gift of faith and prayer, and you sit home and pray. That might be what it is, but you use your gift to serve people in the church or serve the unbelievers. That's what you do. Use your gift. You do your part, then, in making disciples and building the kingdom. So, True, genuine faith, then, bottom line, means two things. It means you're trusting God for the little things of life, and you're trusting God for the big things of life, and you're seeking his kingdom. That's it, okay? That's all we're saying. True faith. Believe in God. Take care of your needs. Believe in God that he'll use you to fulfill his purposes and to build the kingdom of God. And i got to say this. And maybe, this, you, maybe you don't think this way. I do think this way. And this is some place i got to be watch. i got to watch. We live in the political season, you know, it's 17 months away from the election, 2024, and already, man, who's running, it? it's all the talk. I, I, again, I, I watch the news, and then I, I move past. We tend to save our show so I can click past it. I get so tired of who's going to run and who's in first and second, and what are they saying? And 17 months of this, oh, golly. The thing I want to say is this, is in our current country, I'm not talking about the unbelievers, I'm talking about the Christians, there's a lot of Christians that spend way too much time talking about the political kingdom. Who's going to be president? Way too much time. Don't get distracted by that. Do not get distracted. Don't get off the wall. I pray for the president. You can watch. I'm not saying you can't watch. I'm going to probably watch something today. I do. I like to keep up on what's going on, but don't be consumed by it like a lot of Christians are. They're trying to build this political kingdom, but they're not thinking much about the spiritual kingdom of God. So, Okay, in conclusion, how do you grow in your faith? I have seven things in your notes, but there's one I forgot, a really basic thing, in fact, the foundational thing, or one of the foundational. As I, I said last week about how humility is that which precedes faith. That is, a, a proud person can have faith. That's Habakkuk chapter 2, 4, the places too. But a humble person it sees his needs. Man, I, I, I need help. And he goes to God for help. And he believes that God can help him, you see. So, so, so humility. So ask God to help you be humble. Second, read God's word. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So read God's word. It'll build your faith. Get promises. Get truths. 
Third, learn about God, study his character, know that God is holy and wise and loving and powerful, all these things. This verse I've said many times, those who know thy name will put their trust in thee. If you have a hard time trusting God, if your faith is weak, if you're worrying way too much, you're not thinking about the character of God like you should. I think that's a key thing, a key thing, the character of God, who he is. We, we sang, I think we're going to think our last song, will Worship the King. It's, it's that one. It's, it's a, good, a good song about the character of God. Be around godly people. Learn from examples of faith. This helps me. And I, I've said, mentioned in the past certain people, but there's people as I go back in my 50-plus years of Christian that they were men and women of faith. I still think about them. You know, it says, it says, it says it's good to remember the righteous. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, and part of that memory is you're thinking, man, they were godly people. They had faith. That, that, that's helpful. Godly people who have faith. If you're with people who are always worrying, not having faith, it's going to wear you down. It'll wear you out. I, I guarantee you that. It's not a good, a good thing. Not a good thing to be. I'm not saying you can't once in a while, but if that's your steady diet of relationships, it's, it's, it's not a, a positive thing. Be determined to give God glory. We talked about this. In fact, we've got we to gotta see this. John 11. Back to John. John 11. John 11, of course, is when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Verse 4, Jesus heard this, that he heard that Lazarus was sick. Well, verse 3, sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom we love is sick. Jesus heard this. He said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Again, ultimately, the purpose of our lives is for God to get glory. But then you connect that with verse 40, which I'll just quote, 1140. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God, the direct connection between your faith and God's glory? So I'm talking here about, hey, you want God to be glorified. That means trusting God. Because if you trust God, have faith in God, then you will be, then be bringing God glory. Finally, do God's work. As you do God's work, then you'll see that you need God, his help. You'll go to him, you'll look to him, you'll trust him, you'll believe him, and he will then come through for you. One last verse, Psalm 37, 3. Trust in the Lord, do good. I think about my life. You know, I, 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 if you read the, the blog yesterday, you can get it today or go online. It was, it was um, a really sad one. It was really tough because it talks about why God's judging this country. And you really didn't understand it because otherwise you'll be confused. It really helps you to see what's going on. So what helps me when I watch something in the news or hear that, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, I, 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 I hear things all the time. And some, much of it, don't even tell my wife. I, she's not good for her. hear too much bad stuff. What do I think? Trust in the Lord. Don't fret over those guys. God will take care of them. They'll pass away. It's a great, it's the best chapter in the Bible, I think, in God taking, quick, taking care of evil people and taking them away at the right time. Trust in the Lord and do good. You keep doing the good you can do in your own little circle, your own little world, your own little job, whatever, friends, relatives, wherever it is, you do good. Make that phone call, pray for that person, get with that person, have lunch, you know. Do something in a ministry. Trust in the Lord and do good. Never forget that. Trust and do good. Have faith and then do good. Do your part, okay? And you all have a part to play in building the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you for this time here. I know we've gone over a lot of things, and I 
just pray you'd help the ones here and the ones listening online, Lord, to um, Lord to spiritually digest that which you want them to really know and remember. And, and there might be just one or two or three key things, but God, help them, help us, help those listening online to have faith in you, Lord, to, to trust you. Just pray that, that uh, you would just help us again with our faith. That one verse, I do believe, help me in our unbelief, Mark 9, 24, we pray that. All of us here as believers, we do have faith, but sometimes it's little, and we want it to be more and bigger and great faith too. So God, you help us through your word, through your spirit, through the examples of others, Lord. Just We know you can do this. You are the author and perfecter of faith, we understand from Hebrews 11. But thank you again for this church here. Let's pray for Ralph and Evelyn on their way back from from Georgia now keep them safe and I know they're probably even listening online and pray for you to help them father ones here that might not be feeling good pray for Carol Lord Hardy she's having continued treatments another one Tuesday give her special grace this week that's the hardest time the first week after pray things go well and the whole big picture of things as well and give grace to Bruce and Carol Holland Lord help her Lord and her life pray for Lillian she's had problems with her legs a broken fibula a torn meniscus Lord just pray that whole situation too lord pray for little riley i heard about this morning a seven-year-old girl that's got cancer lord just pray for her and and and, but lord just help us again spiritually help us lord to be and do all that you want thank you for this church thank you for bethel pray for your blessing on them and use them for your purposes and glory as well thank you again now for this time we pray all this in jesus name amen